Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammadu ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Rabbi sharahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Allahumma allimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima allamtana wa zidna ilma. So last week we talked about some of the events that took place after the battle of Badr but before the next major battle which was the battle of Uhud. So there was about a year between the battle of Badr and the battle of Uhud. The battle of Badr it took place in the second year of Hijrah in the month of Ramadan and the battle of Uhud it took place in the third year of Hijrah in the month of Shawwal. So just a little over a year between these two battles. So after the battle of Badr, the Quraysh realized that the Muslims were a very strong force. And they realized that they needed to take precautions to avoid any type of confrontation with the Muslims. After the humiliating loss that the Quraysh suffered at Badr, they realized that the Muslims were no joke that a confrontation with the Muslims would lead to heavy casualties and big losses for them. So the problem was that their trade caravans where they used to take their wealth and go to Syria and do business in Syria and then come back to Mecca. These trade caravans, the way from Mecca to Syria, you had to cross by the area around Medina. If you look at Mecca and you look at Syria, you will see that Syria is basically straight up, straight north from Mecca. And Medina comes within that line. So on the way from Mecca to Syria, you would pass around Medina. So the Quraysh realized that this is going to be a problem now. Because every time we want to take a caravan with our wealth from Mecca to Syria and we have to cross nearby Medina, the Muslims of Medina, they will ambush our caravans and this is going to be a big blow to our business, big, big blow to our trade. And the thing about the economy of Mecca was that it was completely dependent upon these trade caravans. There was no other type of economy in Mecca. It was not a place of agriculture. There were no farms there. The only source of income that they had was this trading. And of course, the Hujjaj would come and they would spend some money there too. But the main source of income for the Quraysh, for the people of Mecca, was doing these trade caravans. So they realize now, if, if every time they try to go to Syria and they're ambushed by the Muslims, this is going to put a big dent in the economy of Mecca. So they realized that they had to come up with another plan. How can we go to Syria and come back to Mecca without crossing the path of the Muslims, without going near Medina? So they devised a plan that they would take a different route, which is much longer, but it would avoid going by Medina. Instead of going straight, straight up in a line from Mecca to Syria, which was the easiest way, they would go east and then north towards Iraq. And then from Iraq, they would turn and go back to Syria. So just for a little bit of a visual representation of this. So let's say, this is Mecca in the south and this is Syria in the north, right? So Medina, it comes in the way. And Iraq is like right here. 
So the regular way that the Quraysh would go to Syria is they would just go straight to Syria like this. So they would pass nearby Medina on their way to Syria. So this is an easy opportunity for the Muslims of Medina to ambush the caravans. Medina is here, Mecca is here. We're going to Syria. We pass by Medina, the Muslims ambush. It's finished. So they said, okay, we need to find a different way to do this. So they decided, okay, instead of going straight north to Syria, we will first go east. And we will go all the way around like this, far from Medina. And we'll go towards Iraq. This is Iraq. And when we reach Iraq, then we will turn back west and go to Syria. In this way, we avoid the Muslim army. And we, we avoid the Muslims from ambushing our caravans. So this was their plan. And this is what they decided to do. And they kept this very secret because they didn't want it to leak out so that the Muslims would find out their plans and they would have an ambush ready for them on that way as well. So the Quraysh, they were getting ready to take a, a huge caravan to Syria. And this was under the leadership of Abu Sufyan, who was now the undisputed leader of the Quraysh after all of the other leaders had died in Badr. Abu Sufyan was the, the undisputed leader of the Quraysh. He had no competition in leadership. So he was the head of this caravan that they were going to take to Syria using this new pathway. And it was a huge caravan and it contained 100,000 dirhams of silver from the Quraysh. All of the Quraysh, you know, they gave whatever wealth they had in order to, for Abu Sufyan to take it to Syria and do business with it and then come back to Mecca. So it was a huge caravan. It was full of a lot of wealth, 100,000 dirhams worth of silver. And of course, the camels and the other things that they had as well. So a very big caravan. So they kept it as secret as possible. But there was one of the Muslims and his name was Suleik. And he had an old friend from the days of Jahiliyyah, an old friend from the days of Jahiliyyah. His friend's name was Naeem ibn Mas'ud. And at this point, Naeem ibn Mas'ud had not accepted Islam yet. He was still a kafir. And he knew about these plans of the Quraysh to take this new pathway to Syria. So one day, Sulaik is sitting with his old friend Naeem. And they're drinking wine together. And this is before wine was prohibited. This is before the ayat came that prohibited the consumption of intoxicating drinks. So Sulaik, who is a Muslim, and Naeem ibn Mas'ud, who at this time was still a kafir, they're sitting together, drinking wine, talking. And Naeem, he became drunk. And while he was drunk and intoxicated, he started to talk about the secret. He said, yes, Abu Sufyan, you know, he has this plan to take this big caravan. And they're going to go on a different way in order to avoid you guys. So he told him all of the details. And Sulaik is listening very carefully. Oh, really? Go on. Tell me more. Tell me more. So he gets all of the information from Naeem. And he goes right back to the Prophet ﷺ and he informs him that this is what Abu Sufyan is planning to do. They're planning to take a different pathway for their caravan from Mecca to Syria. So the Prophet ﷺ, he immediately arranged a group of his companions to go on that new pathway and to ambush that caravan of Abu Sufyan. And this was under the leadership of Zayd ibn al-Haritha. The Prophet ﷺ put Zayd ibn al-Haritha in charge of this sariyah, in charge of this, this group. So they followed the instructions of the Prophet ﷺ and they ambushed this huge caravan of Abu Sufyan with 100,000 dirhams of silver. They ambushed this caravan on the new pathway 
and Abu Sufyan and, and the people who were with him, they had no idea. They didn't dream that the Muslims would ambush them on this new way. They had no idea that the Muslims found out about it. So they were completely shocked and they were completely surprised. And they were not prepared for this unexpected ambush at all. So the Muslims were very easily able to take all of that 100,000 dirhams. They ambushed that caravan. They took everything. They took all the camels and everything. And Abu Sufyan and his people, they ran away. They were able to escape and they ran away to Mecca. So when Abu Sufyan reached Mecca, the Quraysh realized that this is something that's very serious. If this goes on, if every time we try to take a caravan to Syria, it is ambushed by the Muslims, the economy of Mecca will collapse and our lives will be destroyed. We'll not be able to live anymore. So they realized that this is something that has become very, very serious and they decided to come up with a plan on how to stop the threat of the Muslims once and for all. And they realized that their only option was to go and fight them again. To go to Medina and fight the Muslims. So they prepared a huge army this time. Last time in Badr, they prepared a big army of 1,000 soldiers. This time it was three times bigger than that. They prepared an army of 3,000 soldiers under the command of Abu Sufyan. Included in these 3,000 soldiers were 200 horsemen. A cavalry of 200 horsemen and these horsemen were under the leadership of a brilliant military general by the name of Khalid ibn al-Walid and I'm sure every one of you has heard this name Khalid ibn al-Walid and at that time he was still from amongst the kuffar at that time he was still from the disbelievers so he was in charge of the horsemen the cavalry of 200 horsemen now this army of 3,000 men it was the biggest army that the Quraysh had ever assembled in its history. It was the biggest army that they had ever assembled in their history. So you see how serious they were about that. When it's about money, you know, they don't take this lightly. They were ready to do whatever they had to do, but they wanted to neutralize the threat of the Muslims. So 3,000 soldiers, 200 cavalrymen under the the leadership of Khalid ibn al-Walid and the army in general, the whole army was under the command of Abu Sufyan. So Abu Sufyan and his army, they headed towards Al-Madina. So the Prophet ﷺ, he received intelligence that the kuffar of the Quraysh, they're coming and they are planning to attack Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ, he consulted his companions to get advice from them. What do you think we should do? And this was the way of the Prophet ﷺ. Before he took any decision, he would always consult his companions and get their ideas and get their opinions and then he would make a decision. So the companions, most of them for the most part, they were ready to go out. They said, let us get out of Medina and we will meet them and we will fight them. Instead of staying in Medina and waiting for them to come here, we will go and meet them. So this was the opinion of the majority of the Sahaba. They were very excited and they were ready to go out and fight. So Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, Asadullah wa Asadu Rasulih, the lion of Allah and the lion of his messenger. Hamza, he said, let's go out, Ya Rasulullah. We will go out and we will fight them. Anas ibn Nadr, radiallahu anhu, one of the great companions, he missed the battle of Badr because as we spoke about, 
when the companions went out for the battle of Badr, they didn't know that it was going to be a battle actually. They thought that they were just going out to get the caravan, but it turned out to become a battle. So Anas ibn Nadr, he stayed in Medina at that time and he didn't know what was going to happen at Badr. So when they came back and they told them all about it, that there was a battle and we fought and we won, Anas ibn Nadr, he had regret like, I missed the first battle with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I missed the first fight between us and the kuffar of the Quraysh. So he, he felt that regret. So he was very excited. He thought that this is a chance I'm going to get now. I'm going to get a chance to fight with the Quraysh. And he used to say before the battle of Uhud took place, after Badr, but before Uhud, Anas, he used to say, if there is ever another fight between the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and those kuffar of the Quraysh, I will be with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Allah will see what I do to them. Allah will see what I do. So he was very excited. So he saw this as an opportunity. So he encouraged the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as well. Ya Rasulullah, let's go out and we'll fight them. We'll not wait for them to come to Medina. We will go out and we will fight them. So this was the opinion of the majority. But there were a few of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ who advised him, no, let's stay in Medina. You know, we know Medina and Medina is fortified. We have many, uh, we have a big strategic advantage if we stay in Medina and we'll be able to fight them easier if we stay on our turf. So the Prophet ﷺ listened to both of these sides and the majority wanted to go out, but there were a few who wanted to stay. And the Prophet ﷺ himself he was leaning actually towards staying in Medina and waiting for them to come. And he mentioned to his companions that he had a dream. The Prophet ﷺ told his companions that I had this dream that I saw a cow being slaughtered. I saw a cow being slaughtered. And I saw my sword was bent. And I saw that I was entering armor. I was going inside some armor. So the companions asked the Prophet ﷺ, what do you think is the meaning of this dream, Ya Rasulullah? And the Prophet ﷺ said, I think the meaning of this dream, the cow being slaughtered, that means that a number of my companions will be killed. My sword being bent, it means that someone from my family, someone from my Ahlul Bayt will be killed. And me entering the armor, me going inside the armor, I think that the armor is Medina. The place of safety, the armor, that is Medina. So I think we should stay in Al-Medina. So he was leaning towards staying in Al-Medina. But then the companions who wanted to go out, these excited companions who wanted to go out and fight, they said, Ya Rasulullah, maybe there's another interpretation to this dream. Let's go and let's fight. So this was the majority of the companions wanted to go out and fight. So the Prophet ﷺ, he accepted and he said, okay, let's go. Let's go out and fight. And the Prophet ﷺ, he put on his armor and he prepared to go out and fight. So when the Prophet ﷺ put on his armor, those companions who were pressuring him, let's go, let's go, let's go and fight. They had second thoughts. They thought, look, it looks like the Prophet ﷺ wanted to stay in Medina, but we pushed him too hard to go out. So let's go back to him and tell him, okay, Ya Rasulullah, it's up to you. If you want to stay in Medina, we have no problem with that. So they went back to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, Ya Rasulullah, maybe we put too much pressure on you to go out. If you want to stay in Medina, we are with you and we have no problem with that. By this time, the Prophet ﷺ had already put on his armor 
and he said that it is not appropriate for a prophet of Allah to put on his armor and then go back until he fights against the enemy. So the decision has been made, we're going out now. So the Prophet ﷺ showed that once the decision has been made, خلاص, don't hesitate about it. Then you tawakkal on Allah, have your trust in Allah and go forward with that decision. Don't start having second thoughts after you have already firmly made a decision. So they went out towards where the kuffar had camped out. And that was a place near the mountain of Uhud. And the kuffar were expecting that they would continue on and go towards Medina. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't want them to decide where the battle should take place. So the Prophet ﷺ didn't want to meet them head on. See, they were going towards Medina. The kuffar were going to, towards Medina. If the Prophet ﷺ and his companions were to come from Medina, they would meet them where they had camped out face to face. But that means that the kuffar would be the ones who decided the locations. They are the one who camped out there in the first place. So the Prophet ﷺ didn't want to give the kuffar that strategic advantage of being the ones who decide where the battle takes place. So the kuffar, they were camped out, but the Prophet ﷺ didn't come in the same direction in order to meet them face to face. Rather, he asked his companions, can someone show me a way that we can go and come from behind the kuffar in such a way that the mountain of Uhud will be behind us and the mountain of Uhud will also be on our right so that will protect us from any attack from the back the big mountain behind us and we will be behind the kuffar so we will choose where the battle takes place they don't get to choose where it takes place so one of the companions said ya rasulullah i know some back way to get into that position that you want but it's a strange way that people don't usually use and we will have to pass through some people's farms and through different types of land in order to get there. The Prophet ﷺ said, no problem, that's okay, let's do it. So they went on their way and this man who knew the way, he led them and they passed through some different farms of Medina and when they were about to pass through the farm of one man named Rubi Al-Qaydi and he was from the Munafiqeen, he was from the people who had pretended to accept Islam with his tongue, but he really didn't believe it in his heart. So he had a farm. And as they were about to pass through his farm, they said, this is the army of Rasulullah. We need to pass through your farm. And he said, no, no, this big army, the army of the Muslims was 1,000 people. This big army passing through my farm, you're going to destroy my farm. You can't pass through it. And the Sahaba said, no, we have to pass through it because this is important. We have, to, this is battle, this is war. And he said, no, 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 you can't pass through. You're going to destroy my farm. So the Sahaba, they got angry and they wanted to actually attack this man. And the Prophet ﷺ said, leave him, leave him. He is blind in his eyes. This man, Rubi, he was blind. So the Prophet ﷺ said, This man is blind in his eyes and he's blind in his heart as well. So he said, leave him, don't kill him, but we will pass through his farm. And they did pass through his farm. So they're able to pass through and they came into the position that the Prophet ﷺ wanted them to come to. So the kuffar, they are facing towards Medina and they're expecting the Muslims to come from here. But instead the Prophet ﷺ, he comes from the back. So he chooses where the battle is going to take place. So he came to a position where Uhud was in the back. So imagine these bottles, this is the mountain of Uhud. So the Muslims are right here. 
and the kuffar are right here. And the kuffar were thinking the Muslims are going to come from here, but instead they come from here. So now the Muslims are here facing the kuffar this way. And the kuffar have to turn this way now to face the Muslims. So the Muslims have the mountain of Uhud in their back, protecting them from the back. And they have the mountain of Uhud also on the side, protecting them from the side. But they really have no protection from the left. They have protection in the back and they have protection on the right, but they don't have any protection on the left. But the Prophet wasallam he saw a small hill. So this is the hill. He saw a small hill on the left side and he saw that that was the only weak point. So he stationed 50 archers to stand on that hill to protect all the sides. Now all of the sides are protected. The right, the back and the left are all protected. 50 archers on that small hill. And the Prophet ﷺ gave strict instructions to those archers. And he said to them, None of you should leave your positions until I give you the order that you are allowed to leave your positions. No matter what you see. If you see that we have won, don't come and join us. If you see that we are collecting the spoils of the war, don't come and join us. If you see that we have lost the battle and we are being killed, don't come and help us. You just stay in that position until I order you that you can come down. So this was a very strict instruction that the Prophet ﷺ gave to these 50 archers on this small hill so that the Muslim army would be secure from all sides. And the leader of those archers was a great companion of the Prophet ﷺ by the name of Abdullah ibn Jubair radiallahu so before the battle started, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, who was the leader of the Munafiqeen, he was with them as well. And he had his people with him as well. Abdullah ibn Ubay, he said, um, I don't think we should fight here. I don't think we should fight. I think we should go back to Medina. So he and his friends and his companions, they left Uhud and they went back to Al-Medina. 300 people went back to Medina. So the Muslim army had 1,000 people. Now they are down to 700 because the Munafiqeen, they had all left and they retreated back to Al-Medina even before the battle started. So now it's 700 Muslims against 3,000 of the Kuffar. So the number of Kuffar is more than four times more than the number of Muslims. But this is not something that ever bothered the Muslims because they knew that they had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on their side. So before the fighting was to begin, the Prophet ﷺ took a look at his soldiers, took a look at his men to prepare them and to make sure that everything is set. And he noticed that amongst the people who had come out with the army were some very young kids who wanted to fight. Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab, the son of Umar ibn al-Khattab, he wanted to be part of the army too and he was 12 years old. And the Prophet ﷺ said, no, you're too young. He sent him back. There was another young companion of the Prophet ﷺ. He was only 13 years old. And the Prophet ﷺ said, no, you're too young. Send him back. But this kid, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I am very good at shooting arrows. I'm very good at it. So please, let me go. So the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, show me. So he showed him and he, and he really was a very good shooter. So the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, you can join, no problem. One of the other kids who the Prophet ﷺ had just sent back, when he saw that the Prophet ﷺ allowed that kid to go, he said, Ya Rasulullah, you allowed him to go and you didn't allow me to go. 
but if I were to wrestle with him, I would beat him. So the Prophet said, okay, let's see, wrestle with him. So they wrestled and he beat him. So he said, okay, you can join too. So it's, it shows you even the little kids, they were so excited. They were so excited to fight for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Before the battle started, the Prophet ﷺ took out his own sword in order to encourage the people, to make them excited and ready to go. He took out his own sword and he said, Man Who will take my sword and fulfill its right? Who will take my sword and fulfill its right? So this is an honor. Who will take the sword of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? So Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib radiyallahu an, the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Ana ya Rasulullah, I will take it. But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't give it to Hamza. Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu an, he said, Ana ya Rasulullah, I will take your sword. He didn't give it to Ali radiyallahu an. Zubair ibn Awam radiyallahu an, he said, I will take it ya Rasulullah. He didn't give it to Zubair. Al-Miqdad radiyallahu an, he said, I will take it ya Rasulullah. Prophet didn't give it to him either. These four men, Hamza, Ali, Zubair, Miqdad, these are from the greatest fighters of the Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he didn't give the sword to any one of them. And then one of the Ansar, Abu Dujana radiallahu an, he asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam a question that the other four didn't ask. Remember, the Prophet said, Man Who will take this sword and give it its haqq, give it its right? So Abu Dujana, he asked, Ya Rasulullah, And what is the right of this sword? Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet said, The right of this sword is that it should strike the enemy until it bends. You should strike so many of the disbelievers and kill them one after another, such to the extent that the sword will become bent. And Abu Dujana radiallahu he said, Ana Rasulullah. I will take the sword and give it give it its right, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet he handed his sword to Abu Dujana radiallahu Great honor for this man from the Ansar. When Abu Dujana took the sword, he took out a red piece of cloth that he had with him and he tied it around his head. And then he started walking back and forth between the two armies, a walk of pride that would usually be considered, if someone walks like that, it would usually be considered a walk of arrogance and a walk of takabbur. He started walking like that with the red cloth around his head. Just imagine this. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, This is a type of walk that Allah and His Messenger hate, except in this type of a situation. In this type of a situation, it's okay. Yes, show your pride, show your strength. This is not a time to be humble in front of the kuffar. This is a time to show your strength and your power. And you walk like this, no problem. In this type of situation, it is allowed. So this was the walk that Abu Dujana showed at this time. So the kuffar, they were also preparing on their side as well for the beginning of the fighting. And the kuffar from Mecca, they brought 3,000 people with them to fight. And they also brought their women along with them too. 
And their logic behind that is if our women are with us, then we will have more of an incentive to fight because we will know that we are fighting for their honor as well. And they will give us strength and they will give us encouragement as well. So they brought their women with them as well. And amongst these women was Hind bint Utbah. Hind bint Utbah, whose father and uncle and brother, all three of them, they were killed on the day of Badr. So she had a personal vendetta that she wanted to settle as well. So she was amongst the kuffar as well. Also Jubair ibn Mut'im, he was one of the kuffar and his uncle had died on the day of Badr. His uncle was killed on the day of Badr. So Jubair, he had a slave and the name of the slave was Wahshi. He was an Ethiopian slave and Wahshi was an expert at throwing spears expert at it and he wouldn't miss his target so he was the slave of Jubair ibn Mut'im and Jubair said to Wahshi he said ya Wahshi my uncle was killed on the day of Badr if you kill the uncle of Muhammad in revenge for my uncle then you are free you kill the uncle of Muhammad Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib you kill him and you're free so Wahshi he didn't care about this fight he didn't care about this battle he was just a slave but he wanted his freedom so he didn't care who won or lost the battle but he just had one objective in his mind that he will kill Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib he made this his only objective in this battle in order to get his freedom if you remember from the battle of Badr there was something called the Mubaraza where before the actual fighting started there would be like some one-on-one one, one -on -one battles. One person from the Muslim army, one person from the Kafir army, and they would fight one-on-one -on -one in order to show their strength. So this would happen two or three times, and then the real fighting, the actual fighting, the main part of the battle would begin. This was the way of fighting that they had. But the Kuffar had been so humiliated in the Mubarazah from the Battle of Badr, they failed every time. So they decided that this time there will be no Mubaraza. We will just start fighting the battle immediately. Both armies will start fighting immediately without any one-on-one -on -one battle beforehand. <coughs> so the flag of the Kuffar, the flag of the army of the Quraysh, was given to the family of Bani Abduddar. And if you remember, the Quraysh, they had many different sub-tribes. There was Bani Abdul Muttalib, Bani Abduddar. There were many different sub-tribes of the Quraysh. And each one of them had a specific responsibility that they were in charge of. So one group, their responsibility was to take care of the kiswa, the cover of the Kaaba, and change it when it needed to be changed. One group, their responsibility was to provide water for the Hujjaj. As for Bani Abduddar, their responsibility was if there is ever a battle that they have to carry the flag of that battle. So this was their honor and this was their responsibility, Bani Abduddar. And in the battle of Badr, Bani Abduddar also had the flag. But of course, the battle of Badr turned out to be a great loss for the Kuffar of the Quraysh. So this time, Abu Sufyan, he told Bani Abduddar, the people who were responsible for holding that flag, he said to them, last time you had the flag in Badr and we lost miserably. We suffered a humiliating defeat. 
Are you going to be able to fulfill your responsibility with that flag this time? If not, just give me the flag now and I'll give it to someone else. And Bani Abdul-Dar, the, the family of Bani Abdul-Dar, they felt insulted by this. They said, we will carry that flag even if every single one of us is killed one by one. We will fulfill the responsibility and we will carry that flag. So Abu Sufyan said, okay, it is upon you. So the battle started. The battle started. And Talha, Ibn Abi Talha, who was from Bani Abdul-Dar, he is the one who held the flag of the Kuffar, the flag of the Quraysh in his hand. And Mus'ab ibn Umair, عن, he was the one who held the flag of the Muslims in his hand. So immediately as the battle started, Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, the Lion of Allah and the Lion of Rasulullah he noticed that the security around the flag bearer of the Kuffar was not very strong. Talha ibn Abi Talha, who had the flag of the Kuffar in his hand, the people around him or the security around him, it wasn't very intense. So he said, look, we can go in and we can kill him and the flag will fall immediately. And if the flag falls and if no one else picks it up, it means the battle is over. So Hamza saw this as an opportunity. So Hamza and Ali ibn Abi Talib and some of the other brave companions of the Prophet wasallam, they went and they went straight for the flag bearer. And they were able to penetrate the weak defense that was there. And they were able to reach Talha bin Abi Talha from Bani Abdul-Dar who had the flag of the Kuffar in his hand. So Hamza was very quickly able to kill Ibn Abi Talha. And he fell down and the flag fell down with him. So the second brother from the same family, from Bani Abdul-Dar, he picked up the flag immediately and Hamza killed him too. So within the first few minutes of the fight, the flag has already fallen down two times. The flag of the Kuffar has already fallen down two times. Hamza hits the first flag bearer, then it is picked up by the second brother and Hamza kills him too. By this time, the Kuffar, they realize that Hamza is killing the flag bearer, so they try to surround him in order for him not to be able to access the next person who picks up the flag. So the third brother now picks up the flag. And Ali ibn Abi Talib, he kills him. And then the fourth brother, he picks up the flag. And Ali ibn Abi Talib kills him too. Now the Kuffar, they go and they surround Ali ibn Abi Talib, so he's not able to get near the flag. So the fifth brother picks up the flag. It has already fallen down four times now in the first few minutes of the battle. The fifth brother, he picks up the flag. And Asim ibn Thabit radiallahu an, he kills the fifth brother. And then the sixth brother picks up the flag. And by this time, the women have come out to see what's happening. They see the flag keeps falling and coming up and falling and coming up. So the women have come out to see what's going on here. So one of the women, Sulafa bint Abi Talha. She was also from Bani Abdul-Dar. And those were her brothers who were holding that flag and being killed one by one. So now five of her brothers had been killed and the sixth brother held, held the flag. And now she's seeing this with her own eyes and she sees with her own eyes Asim ibn Thabit kill her sixth brother. And she sees all six of her brothers are dead on the ground. And she thinks that Asim is the one who killed all six of them. 
because she didn't see it from the beginning. She didn't see that Hamza killed two and Ali killed two and Asim killed two. She saw Asim killed the last one and she thought in her mind that he killed all six of my brothers. So she saw all six of her brothers dead on the ground and she calls out to the people, who will bring me the skull of Asim ibn Thabit? I want someone to kill him and bring me his skull so that I can drink wine from his skull. And then whoever gave me the skull, I will fill it up with gold and give it back to you. So now this news spreads around that Sulafa bint Abi Talha, she is offering the weight of Asim ibn Thabit's skull in gold to whoever kills him. So he became a target as well. So six of the brothers died. Now a seventh member from Bani Abduddar, a seventh member from that sub-tribe, they pick up the flag and he is killed as well. So they keep killing the flag bearer one after another, one after another. So it looks very early on like the Muslims have the upper hand by far. So while the main concentration of the battle is going in the area of the flag, there is fighting going on in other parts of the battlefield as well. But the main focus was on that flag. In another part of the battlefield, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas who was an expert in throwing arrows. Whoever he would throw an arrow at, it would hit. He was an expert in this. And the Prophet ﷺ would give him arrows and Sa'ad would throw it. And he would always hit his target. And the Prophet ﷺ would give him the arrows and he would say, Irmi ya Sa'ad, fidaka abi wa ummi. Irmi ya Sa'ad, fidaka abi wa ummi. Throw it ya Sa'ad. May your ransom be my father and my mother. And this was something that the Arabs used to say a lot. Fidaka abi wa ummi. May your ransom be my father and my mother. But the Prophet ﷺ, he never said that for anyone except Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. May your ransom be my father and my mother, Ya Sa'ad. And Sa'ad used to be proud of that. And he used to say the Prophet ﷺ never said, May your ransom be my father and my mother for anyone except me. So this was an honor that Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas had. So the Prophet ﷺ would give him these arrows and Sa'ad would throw them and he would hit his target. The man who took the sword of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he said he will fulfill the right of the sword, Abu Dujana radiallahu he fought valiantly and bravely and he killed a number of the kuffar and he really gave that sword of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam its right. Ka'b ibn, Ka ibn Malik radiallahu one of the companions, he wanted to follow Abu Dujana and see what would he do with that sword. Let's see if he really gives that sword his right. Let's see if he really gives that sword its right. And he saw Abu Dujana killing the disbelievers, killing the enemy right and left one by one. And there was one fighter from the Kuffar who was very strong and he was, he was covered with armor. And when Abu Dujana approached him, Kaab wanted to see how is this going to go? Because this was one of the best fighters of the Kuffar. So they started to fight sword by sword. And the fighter from the Kuffar of the Quraysh, he tried to hit Abu Dujana with his sword and Abu Dujana put up his shield. And the sword of the disbeliever got lodged in the shield of Abu Dujana. And he couldn't take it out. So now 
this disbeliever, he's without his sword. So he tries to run away. But Abu Dujana chase, chases after him and he strikes him with his sword and he cuts his head into two pieces. His head is split into two pieces. And Abu Dujana knew that Kaab was following him to see what he would do with this sword. So after he killed this man, he took off his helmet and he turned back to Kaab and he said, what do you think Kaab? What do you think about how I'm, how I'm dealing with this sword? So this or these were some of the instances of bravery that the companions of the Prophet showed at that time. So the seventh bearer of the flag of the Kuffar, he was killed as well after that. And then an eighth man picked it up and then he was killed as well. And then a ninth man picked it up as well and then he was quickly killed as well. Nine of them, one after another, holding that flag and dropping it, holding that flag and dropping it. And it keeps falling down. So now Abu Sufyan is calling, who is going to take the flag now? Who is going to take the flag now? But now after they see nine of them have quickly fallen down and been killed with that flag in their hands, nobody wants to touch the flag now. They think that going and holding that flag, this means certain death. Whoever takes that flag, they're going to be killed quickly. So nobody wants to take that flag. So once the flag falls and nobody picks it back up, it means the battle is over. So the kuffar, they thought, okay, no one's picking up the flag. It seems that this is done. It seems that we lost again. So the kuffar, they start running away. They start fleeing the battlefield. And it seems that the battle is over. So the kuffar are fleeing. The Muslims now, they have the battlefield to themselves. They start collecting the spoils of the war. They start collecting the the swords and the shields and the arrows that the kuffar have abandoned and they're running away. So the kuffar are running away, their women are running away and it seems like the battle is over. The people who are on this hill right here, those 50 archers that the Prophet ﷺ gave them very strict instructions, do not leave your position no matter what you see. You see that we won, you see if we lost, you see whatever you see, do not leave your positions. They saw what's going on. They saw that the kuffar ran away. They saw that the Muslims are collecting the spoils of the war. And they think to themselves, it's over. Let's go and join them. So the leader, Abdullah ibn Jubair, he said, you heard the instructions of Rasulullah. He said, do not leave your positions no matter what happens until you get an order from Rasulullah sallallahu Do not leave your positions. And then most of them said, but it's over. Can't you see it's over? It's all finished. Let's go. So most of them, they disobeyed the command and they left their position. And it is mentioned that only 10 of them out of those 50, they stayed in their positions. So 40 of them, they left and they joined the Muslims who were collecting the spoils of the war. And that was a big mistake. That was a big mistake to disobey this commandment of the Prophet ﷺ. And inshallah, next week we will talk about the consequences of that mistake and how the battle turned from that point in time. Inshallah, we'll speak about that next week. Bidhanillah, wallahu alam, wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. <coughs> Two weeks.